to show you today. But before we do that, you've got some exciting news. I have some very exciting news. If you are listening to this podcast on Spotify, you can actually now see Zach and I. We are doing this as a video podcast now, as well as our audio version. So whether you're listening to it, if you do want to come and check out what we actually look like in somewhat real life, you can watch the video now as well. Gabe, we're going to be talking a lot about customer feedback today and how you can respond to that. I feel like we should point out nobody asked for video. <laughs> no, definitely nobody asked for it, but hey, we're doing it anyway. Oh, man. We're rolling with it, buddy. Well, I'm, I'm excited. And again, if you can join us on Spotify, the video is only on the Spotify stream. But Gabe, back to the app I want to show you. It's called Be Real. And I think you're going to love this app. Have you, have you heard of this app? I have not. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and curious about I'm this. Like, I'm like super excited because I know you're not going to like this. <laughs> But what it is, it's, it's a camera app and every day you get a notification and it says, you know, tap to take a picture and you go in and this is a random time every day. So at five o'clock today could be two o'clock tomorrow, but you go in and you have two minutes to take a picture and it shares it with your friends on the app. And that's it. There's no editing, nothing like that. It's the two minute window. You could be lying in bed. You could be in, in the middle of the podcast. I really hope I get my notification and that's it. You take the picture and you submit it. That's all the app is. Don't you think that's like actually, a great idea? I do actually like that a lot because so much of what you hear, you know, from a social media perspective and why I think it turns a lot of people off is, oh, it's so curated and oh, people are always just putting their, you know, it's, it's the Instagram life, right? And, you know, it, people are, it's not the actual life that people are living. It's the view that they want people to see on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, TikTok or whatever. But I love that. I actually think that's a really good I, idea no, it's, just it's to a, make. And, and the name is very accurate as well. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's not like there's nothing to the app. You take a picture at a random time of day. That's it. It just saves it. You, you can see your friend's photos. You can't see your friend's photos until you submit a photo. So you have to use it. But ah, interesting. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this app, and I really hope anyone listening. I'm gonna get like a bunch of friend requests tonight, but um, <laughs> it's it's different though because as you said, you know I'm on Instagram a lot. That's that's probably my number one app, you know, followed by you know probably Netflix to be honest. But at this point, you know, it's it's a super exciting app, and I can't wait to use it. Um, but otherwise, as I mentioned, Gabe, Netflix. This is something we talked about last week, and I think I left us with yes. the question last week you know, am I paying for Netflix? And it's actually funny because since that podcast, there's been a lot of Netflix news. And some of that has been Netflix trying to crack down on those sharing accounts. And mm -hmm. I don't want to like admit to sharing an account, but let's be honest, I'm sharing an account. Um, <laughs> but they had their Q, was it their Q1 call last week, Gabe? Yeah, it was a Q1 results got announced last week. So yeah, it's, interestingly enough, we were planning on doing this Netflix episode and a lot happened since uh, <laughs> with Netflix since we since we since we had that episode and they've announced their results for Q1 and it was a really interesting it was very interesting results. I mean, I, I suspect most people who follow technology industry, you know, kept an eye on what was what was happening there. But it's the first time that they've lost subscribers in over a decade. So it's been quite a long time since Netflix has had a quarter where they actually lost subscribers quarter over quarter. So the other big thing that happened is they were expecting to gain two and a half million subscribers. That is what they had told analysts and investors and all of that, that they were going to do in Q1. And they actually lost 
200,000 subscribers. So not only did they lose subscribers, but they were significantly off from their projections of what they thought they were going to, to add. Now, some of that was due to them actually shutting down, uh, shutting down their operations in Russia. I think, I think most of that, seven... Gabe, was actually them removing the title Hot Rod from Netflix. I think like, <laughs> had they not done that, like we would have been fine today. Like, everything would be fine. <laughs> But here we are. So I, I, yeah, I know, you know, hot rod cinema classic, right? I, I have to, I feel like I have to admit this to you and I, I, I'm not sure that you know this, but I've never seen hot rod. Okay. Okay. We're just going to pause the discussion for a minute. Cause I brought this up like several months ago. I feel like this was back when I was pretty new at Calix, but I, I mentioned like hot rods, the best movie. And like half the team was like, what do you talk about? But every now and then I get on a call and like hot rod gets brought up. Like I was on a, I was on a tech call last week and we mentioned hot rod and one of the guys was like, Oh, I love that movie. I watched it like every day, like growing up. I'm like, <laughs> it's it's honestly an amazing movie. But it's one of those movies, Gabe. I'll be honest. It's not a good movie, but it's like at the same time, it's the best movie. So I'm gonna keep See, plugging it, that. <laughs> it just that's fine, man. I, I feel like I feel like it just missed me from an age bracket perspective. Like I definitely have those movies that are not good movies, but I enjoy and I've watched them hundreds, if not thousands of times, Dumb and Dumber certainly qualifies, you know, but these were all like the mid to late nineties, you know, when that, all of that stuff just like really hit my funny bone, you know? So, and now I'm waiting for my son to get old enough so I can recycle all of those and, you know, show them all to him. So hot rod, hot rod, maybe I'll have to get a hot rod on that list. It's it's funny (laughs) because just last night, um, I watched hot rod with a couple of friends last and one of my friends, she absolutely hated the movie, like can't stand it. The other guy and like he and I are just like loving the movie every scene, but every now and then whenever I see like the hot rod clip recommended on YouTube because it's off Netflix sadly, but every time I see that like recommended clip, I have to click it. <laughs> YouTube just knows me that well. <laughs> it's like a Pavlovian response, man. You can't help yourself. I can't. <laughs> well, circling back to Netflix, you know, I'm sure them removing hot rod had you know a lot to do with it as well, but. They did lose some. They did lose a fair amount of subscribers. They shut down their operations in Russia, which they said cost them about seven hundred thousand subscribers. So you know that was certainly a big chunk of it. But even looking past that, the numbers really don't look great. I, I did a little bit of additional analysis just looking into their quarterly results because I'm a weirdo and a nerd and I like this sort of thing. But one of the things that really jumped out to me as I was looking at the results is their average revenue per member was also down across almost all of their reporting segments. So they do four kind of major reporting segments. They do US, Canada, they do Latin America, they do Asia Pacific, and then Europe, Middle East, and, and Africa are the kind of four major segments that they so, report on. So Gabe, which one and had the, that? which one did not have the loss then? I think EMEA, actually, no, sorry. It was the US, Canada one was the one that did not have the loss. So US, Canada increased, but I think that has to do with the fact that they have increased prices recently uh, in the U.S. and Canada markets. So, you know, Netflix every you know year or 18 months or something like that comes back and, and increases prices for their service. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people now are saying that, you know, they're getting to the point where they may have increased prices too much. I mean, not to, you know, go back to college economics class, right? It's, you know, price elasticity of demand or whatever, where, you know, you do reach a point where people are just going to do maybe what you were doing, which is sharing a password. I think I saw a statistic that uh, uh, they they estimate that 100 million people are sharing passwords, which seems kind of astounding. And I don't know about you, Zach, but I'm kind of surprised that it's taken this long 
and something really catastrophic like this to happen for them to really take a serious look at you know changing that policy around password sharing. I feel like they they really allowed this to happen. Um, if you use yeah. YouTube TV at all, this this is one of my favorite examples. But if you leave your YouTube TV location, it recognizes that you have two options. One is oh I live here now, and the second is oh I'm just visiting. And if you click the mm-hmm. I'm just visiting, you get like I don't know a, a week or two, whatever that timeline is. But it, it knows and it's going to shut it off. With Netflix, they've never done anything. Um, so, so in my case, to be honest, it's it's more of a family account. It's me and a couple siblings, um, and we each have our own profiles, and we just pay yep. the one monthly fee. But it's it's funny because, you know, Netflix has been around, you know, all my life. But Netflix has always been around, and not once have they like looked into, oh, is someone sharing their accounts? You know, like it's very obvious, and they know it's happening. No, oh, they totally know what's yet. happening. So I'm, yeah. I'm really interested. No, they'll fully see... admit that it's happening. Oh yeah, and I'm really I mean, interested to see what the next step is. How how do they fix this? And, and I think we're going to hear a lot about this in the coming weeks, coming months. Mm-hmm. But I think we've gotten to a point now where, as you said, that that revenue is kind of you know faltering. But I think we're going to see some action items here from Netflix, and I'm interested to see if people will you know kind of gather it up and, and pay for the account. If people will just be like, oh, I can I can live without Netflix, but I'm really interested in the outcome. Yeah, same. And I'm really curious to see what happens with, you know, obviously the next couple of quarters. One of the other, I think, things that kind of shocked a lot of people was they forecasted a two million or sorry, a two million subscriber loss this coming quarter as well. So it wasn't just, oh my gosh, we had this massive miss in Q1 of this year. They're also forecasting a big subscriber loss going into this next quarter as well. And with subscriber loss, with revenue going down as well from an average revenue per per member uh, perspective, you know, that's a real concern. I, you know, to bring this back to the telecom industry, which Zach, you and I both work in, you know, average revenue per user, ARPU, that we, that, you know, really uh, that specific KPI that we talk about a lot, if that starts going down, you've got a lot of massive problems. And because you know, that can really impact profitability and your ability to you know, drive future cash flows and all that kind of good stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Netflix for sure. I know, you know lo- there's been a lot of discussion about them potentially having an ads supported uh, tier as well. Would you buy I'd that be curious game? to know. I wouldn't just because I, I it's worthwhile to me not to see the ads, but I'm sure there are a lot of people that would. I mean, what have you what have you been subscribed to? Have you done it's, like it's a you know, Hulu ad supported? What I used to have it's exactly what I used to have. I used to have the Hulu ads and I want to say it was bundled mm. with like my my Spotify music, whatever that bundle was back in the time. It was like five bucks a month for the for the college students and you can get them both um with Hulu it had ads. And I just remember after a while it gets annoying. Like when you when you initially sign up, it's like, all right, I've got Hulu, and then it's ads. But like when you try to binge a show like The Office and Parks and Rec, whatever's on Hulu these days, it gets annoying to watch those ads. So I think I'm at a point now where if I signed up for Hulu today, I would just get the no ads. You know, I'd, I'd pay full price. So it's interesting to me that Netflix is looking at this, and I'm interested to, interested to see what a Netflix ad supported plan will look like. Yeah, I, I mean. I think they've got a lot to figure out before they're ready to support that. I do think it opens up some really interesting marketing opportunities because the cool thing, if Netflix did choose to go down this path of having ads is 
man, they've got a lot of information and data about their subscribers, you know, what they're watching, how long they're watching it, you know, how much they're consuming, those sorts of things. So it's, it's interesting you know, bring that up, Gabe, because I'm, I'm just pulling out my phone now. So don't mind me on Netflix. But just this past <laughs> weekend, I, I was, you know, scrolling through the Netflix app. And I clicked on the downloads tab because one of my downloads had expired. And in one of the interesting things I, I thought uh, I came across here was, it says introducing downloads for you. We'll download a personalized selection of movies and shows for you. So there's always something to watch on your device. So I went ahead and I clicked the setup button, right? And it lets me select how much space I want Netflix to use on my phone. So, you know, three gigs, whatever that is. And then from that point, it's automatically looking at my Netflix library and downloading shows for me. And, and I think this is great, especially for those who travel along quite often. Um, one of the things I think is funny is I, I was big into Breaking Bad. I, I never watched Better Call Saul. It's always recommended to me by my friends. That's actually the number one, like, on my downloads for you is Better Call Saul. And then the second show is actually um, a show I had started watching recently, but it's taking my, my behavior on Netflix, these shows I've watched, mm -hmm. these shows I might be interested in, and it's automatically saving them, not just recommending them, it's actually downloading them to my phone now. Well, Better Call Saul is high quality programming, so I would definitely recommend that. It's, <laughs> I've got a couple of them saved it's up on, on my DVR. It's number right one now on my list. To... I will uh, I'll tune in. <laughs> I love Breaking Bad. If you like Breaking Bad, you're going to like Better Call Saul. So it's definitely Breaking start Bad. checking that out. It's Hot Rod aside, yeah. Breaking Bad is probably my number one. <laughs> oh, it's number one TV Bad. show God, on that's Netflix. That's such a great show. So. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. We're we're not in the uh, we're 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 not in the minority there. That is for sure. That is an awesome program. But I, I will uh, say, definitely would recommend know, Better Call Saul. I've I've never met anyone who said like, oh, I don't like Breaking Bad. I, I never got into it. You know, everyone I talked to is like, that's a good show. Like, I've you know I've watched it all and so on, so on. But um, you know, um, that's enough plugging. I don't think I'd want to talk to the person who didn't like Breaking Bad. Oh, I, I feel, I feel that's, like I mean that's it's a pretty intense show. Him. I could. Yeah, exactly. Like once you say that, you're kind of dead to me. Sorry. Well, and it's funny because, um, you know, speaking specifically on, it's not so much Netflix content, but I think there's a lot of shows that have like the, the, the season one, season two, it's tough to get into, but it really picks up in season three and so on. And I will say Breaking Bad is one of those shows. Season one, it definitely sets, you know, sets the, the plot and everything. But uh, once you get to season three, it's just an amazing show. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because one of the one of the things that so there's there's a bunch of stuff that Netflix does really well, and that uh, download automatic download thing that you just mentioned, I think, is a really interesting idea because they're taking all of that information and data that they know about you and trying to retain you now in this platform, right? And the thing that they do very well is taking that data that they know about their subscribers and, and personalizing that experience. One of the pieces of information, one of the pieces of data that's really important for them doing that is completion rate of shows and completion rate of seasons. So what they've done is they've analyzed the data and said that if, if people are completing shows and completing seasons specifically, they're much less likely to churn because they're staying in the platform. They're probably also having conversations like the conversations you had, right? So once you started watching Breaking Bad, you probably started telling all of your friends, oh my God, the show's amazing. And if they didn't have Netflix, they might've gone up, gone and signed up for it, or maybe you just gave them your password. I was gonna say, I, I didn't won't admit to anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully ne the Netflix police isn't gonna come after you. But the, you know, it creates that viral conversation around all of this, right? you know, and 
that's been a huge marketing component for them. And I think one of the big reasons why they have dropped all of their shows, all the episodes at once, because it creates that ability to binge it, right? And then there's this big conversation around it. That's another topic that I've heard a lot of people discussing is, do they move to more of the Apple TV or HBO model where they only release single shows like once a week, right? But I don't know. I, I just feel like the cat's kind of out of the bag on that one with Netflix and their users are so used to being able to just binge a show. I think that would be a tough one for them to pull back. It's funny you mentioned Apple TV because this is something I, I saw this comment on Reddit and it, it really made me think. But the comment on Reddit said something like Apple TV Plus has been out since, I don't know, 2020, 2021, however long it's been out. And everyone on this thread on Reddit was saying, I've never actually paid for this, but I have it. And it got me thinking, <laughs> I'm in that same boat. I've never paid for it. It's included in my Apple Music um, subscription. So I've never like mm. explicitly paid for it. I'm stealing someone's student Apple Music plan, by the way. Um, so I've never actually <laughs> paid for this. But every time you buy a new Apple device, it's included with that device. I don't know if they right. still do that promotion, but they have been in the past. So I believe they do because I, I, I feel like I've been on that one for a while too. I bought an Apple device and you know they, they gave me the Apple Apple TV thing for free for a period of time. I saw some statistics as I was doing some research for this podcast around the churn rate on Apple TV. And that's what I'm interested wow, in. Wow, it is high. It's is it? insanely high. It it's, was like, I, I think the stat I saw was like 20 something percent. It was not, nuts. It's not something I would pay. Nothing against Apple, but like looking at the content, I've watched... I've watched two movies on on Apple TV Plus. One was Greyhound with Tom Hanks, good movie. I recommend it. Uh, the second was I don't even know what it's called. It was something about um, banking, but um, you know me, uh, all the finance movies. But those are the only two <laughs> movies in like the last two years or whenever this thing came out that I've actually watched. So I'm not surprised that that's high. It's kind of expected, but I'm really interested. And I I imagine Apple won't release this, but I'd be really interested to see how many paying subscribers how many people mm -hmm. signed up specifically either through the apple one bundle or through you know just apple tv plus itself who's yep. signing up for this and the contents yeah you i'm know, sure it's, it's good. not nearly as it's high a as very slim library think. though um yeah if you know i look at netflix's library and it's this huge library they lost a lot of shows with like um you know the nbc the peacock app um some mm -hmm. shows going to hulu so there's all these like kind of shifting of where the content lives um, but you know, Apple's, Apple's well, and obviously that's going to put, yeah. And that's going to put pressure on Netflix, you know, with those shifting libraries and things like that. But, you know, I'd like to, I, I definitely want to talk about that kind of personalization aspect of Netflix and, and the recommendations engine, because that is something that they do really well. I saw a statistic that Netflix says that a billion dollars of their profit comes from the recommendation engine. And that's because 80% of content consumed on Netflix is driven by that recommendation engine. So that's why them understanding the type of content that you're consuming is so important so that they can really drive that recommendation engine in the best possible way to make sure that they're keeping you in that platform and, and, and therefore keeping those churn numbers low. That, that's interesting, Gabe. I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and, and one other one other aspect of the of the kind of personalization or recommendation engine that I've noticed is, and Netflix has actually talked about this this pretty openly as well. They'll even personalize the thumbnails that you see when you're going to click on a specific show. So 
you know, based on your viewing history, you may see a different thumbnail for a show than what I see, which I think is kind of interesting. So they're already, they're getting down to that low a level of granularity from a personalization perspective to keep you in the platform, keep those completion rates high on shows as well as seasons. The other one that I've heard, this was for a specific show that they did a, a few years ago. It was a, uh, oh gosh, who was the director? It was the same guy who did um, House of Cards, uh, David Fincher. Okay. Remind, also a good show. Me a not to to remember plug it on a Netflix also show. a good show, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, I, that's a whole other topic of conversation about how they built that show, actually, which we could talk about if you like. But the the thing that they did with this David Fincher show is, if, do you ever did you ever watch Black Mirror, Zach? I have is not. Is that a show that you watch? I have not. Okay. It's it's interesting. That show's wild. I, I haven't watched all of them. I've watched a few here and there, but they're they're non-serial, right? So, you know, one show has nothing to do with the next. So this this David Fincher show was very similar to that, where one episode was, you know, everything was sort of a self-contained story. And so what they did was they actually changed the order of the of the episodes based on your viewing history to try and drive a higher completion rate. Because again, higher completion rate of a season results in lower churn. So they adjusted the order. So you may see a different order of the show than I would see because they were, they were personalizing that experience. And I think it was just a really brilliant way to use that data, use that insight to personalize that experience for their subscribers. That's, that's fascinating. I didn't know that, but you can definitely get away with it when you have that much data. And especially with that mm -hmm. type of show, you know, if you're watching something like The Office, um, and maybe The Office isn't the best, Breaking Bad, we'll stick with that example. If you're watching something like Breaking Bad and suddenly the episodes get shuffled, it's, you know, you're lost. You can't get away with that. Yeah, but absolutely. But using that user data to really curate that show, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and they did, and they very much did that when they were creating House of Cards. They looked at the data of who their popular people were on the platform. So David Fincher was a very popular director. Kevin Spacey at the time was a very popular actor. And so they, and they also found that people who liked Kevin Spacey liked David Fincher and vice versa. And so they looked at all of these data points and said, all right, well, let's actually use that information to build a, build a service basically, right? Build this show around these two people who have really high completion rates, you know, uh, people rate their content very high. And there was a real crossover between people who liked Fincher and liked Spacey. And so they felt like that was a really good combination of people to go with. So uh, that was really interesting as well when they were actually creating the, you know, creating content for the first time as well. I, I think that's super interesting. And it kind of brings me into the next thing I wanted to talk about. And that is that customer feedback loop. And, and when mm. I talk about a customer feedback loop, it's, it's not so much an automated process as, as Netflix has shown us, but it's more of, um, you know, how can you take maybe the data, you know, and maybe the feedback you receive to improve that product, you know? So uh, one way to do this is really through collecting those reviews, whether it's on Google. We talked a little bit about Google reviews last week. Um, maybe some feedback you've received from another platform. Maybe you did a survey. Um, that's something we do a lot too. But then taking that data and kind of submitting that to the appropriate teams. And it's more of a manual process, but this is something really every business can do and every business should be doing. Absolutely. Well, and really having those conversations with your customers, you know, taking that feedback, 
to then hopefully make it a conversation with the customer as well to understand why why they purchased, why they did the thing that they that they did. I was listening to a podcast this weekend. They were talking about event triggers or trigger events, I should say. And it, they were discussing about how oftentimes in a buyer journey, the trigger event happens actually way before the timeframe that they're actually even engaging with you know, with, with you as a company. So to bring this to a, a broadband example, which is the industry that Zach and I work in, customer decide, maybe, maybe the customer has a bad experience with their current service provider. Maybe they have a technical issue and they call up customer support and the customer support sucks and they have a bad experience with the rep. That's the trigger event that will eventually result in that customer churning and going to a potentially new service provider. So, you know, understanding those trigger events and being able to use that to have the appropriate conversation with your customer from a marketing perspective, as well as from a retention perspective, I think is really, really important. And unless you have that data and unless you have that knowledge of what's going on with the customer, you're kind of just guessing. I, I totally agree, Gabe. And and building off that too, I think um, when, when you do have customers that are happy, you know, every, everyone's, everyone's happy, nothing no one's leaving your streaming platform or whatever your business is for the competition. But another thing you can do is build a loyalty program as well. And I see this a lot in a lot of the apps I use specifically. Um, yeah, we've, we've been talking about this within the team as well today, but um, the McDonald's app, the Starbucks app, you can go out every time you pay with the app, every time you buy something at McDonald's, wherever you are, um, you get points in the app and where do you redeem those points? But back at McDonald's, back at Starbucks, mm -hmm. you know? So it keeps you in this loop. Uh, but at the same time is, is there's a lot of value in not only driving those app downloads at that point, that's another thing we talk about a lot, driving app downloads, but keeping people coming back to your business. Yeah, definitely. It, it's creating the, creating a loyalty program is certainly one of, you know, the best ways to do this. You know, as you said, I think, you know, Starbucks app, you know, some of these apps have done a great job in, you know, creating that relationship with customers. And as you said, it's driving them back to the business to, to spend more. You know, I think any recurring revenue business should look at this. You know, if you're, if you're taking money from a customer every single month, then churn is one of the most important statistics for you to look at. And churn obviously really impacts customer lifetime value in a recurring revenue business. If you can reduce churn by even a quarter of a point a month, you know that can really significantly add lifetime to that customer to that customer relationship with you years potentially to the amount of time that that customer is spending with you so anything you can do to create that loyalty uh you know loyalty program i think is a great example zach uh is 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 huge to you know decrease churn and and uh, increase retention for sure and another example I want to bring up too, Gabe, and this is a fantastic example for, for people to use too. That's why we talk about this, but um, I'm always a big fan of the the give something, get something campaigns, the, mm -hmm. the referral program, basically. You know, um, I, I saw an example and, and the headline was, be a good friend. Uh, you get $20 and if you get so many people to sign up, whatever that call to action is, and they get $20, whatever that was. I see a lot of banks doing this too is, for a friend, you know, if Gabe signs up with my link, he gets 50 bucks and I get 50 bucks. We both benefit too. So not only does it kind of lock me into that ecosystem, it keeps me happy, but then my friend's like, oh man, like if I sign up for this bank, I, I get this incentive, right? I get, you know, 20 bucks and whatever that price may be. But I think programs yep. like that, huge, hugely beneficial.
Oh yeah, definitely. I, I love those programs too. And they, the cost of bank banks, especially, I see that one all the time. I log into, I have capital one and, you know, log into the app and it's like, Hey, you know, do that refer a friend thing, right? That thing pops up all the time. I know. So, SoFi, which we talked about previously as well, I think does a really good job of this, uh, not only around referrals, but also gamifying the experience of banking so that it keeps you in the app, keeps you in their platform and therefore reduces churn. Um, but the reason people do this, the reason businesses do this is it's a really inexpensive way to acquire customers. It's the same thing like our HR group tells us all the time, our talent and culture group tells us all the time, please refer people. <laughs> those are the best, those are the best folks that we can hire. And it's a heck of a lot cheaper than going out and hiring a recruiter to go find a bunch of people, right? The same thing is true for businesses. If you want to get good customers, Ask your good customers to go, you know, recommend their friends, recommend their family, give them a benefit, very inexpensive because you're spending very little dollars on marketing and you're getting high quality leads and high quality prospects that are coming into your company. And two points to that, Gabe. One is you don't have, I mean, we, we've been talking about giving out cash. You don't have to give out cash. It could be a, a bill right. of credit. It could be maybe you have an add-on. You could do it for a month. It can be really anything you have to offer. We've We've seen so many different examples, but um, it doesn't have to be cash. If it's something unique to the business, do that. If it's if it's a hat, if it's a t-shirt, you know, people love that swag too. So it doesn't have to be cash, but there's so many options. The second point, you mentioned gamifying. And I think one of my favorite examples of gamifying an app is Robinhood. Have you used Robinhood, Gabe? I have not. I've not oh, delved into the world of Robinhood. <laughs> I, I'm not going to like speak against the app, but I will say I don't use it. I did use it. And when you sign up, um, the reason I signed up was one of my friends said like, Hey, you know, I've got this code, you should sign up. And we both get a free stock. And that's exactly what mm -hmm. it was. Robin had basically gamified the sign up process. So when I would use his code, I would be entered. I mean, there's, there's so many different stocks you can receive, but there was like a one in five chance it could be a big name stock like Apple, Netflix, something like that. Um, I think the stock I got was like Sprint or something. So, you know, rest in peace to that <laughs> stock. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of the best examples of gamifying. And, and they got into a little bit of trouble just because with, with investing, it's not something you typically want to gamify. You can get a lot of uneducated people signed up for your app. They can make mistakes and it's going to be pointing fingers of, oh, who's, who's liable for me losing X amount of money? Um, but when I signed up, you know, I got my Sprint stock and then I used the app for a while. I had some crypto in it. Um, and then mm. it kind of seemed like it was scandal after scandal. Again, not the same thing bad about Robinhood. I'm sure it's a fantastic app, um, but I, I, I don't use it anymore. But that's that's one of the best examples of gamifying I can think of is just. What's interesting, too, is I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great one. I love that. And, and I was actually thinking about this just earlier this week, because one of the apps that my son uses for school is very gamified and it's trying to teach kids to read and it gives them points and then they can buy things, you know, in the app and, you know, deck out their, you know, deck out whatever their little spaceship or their little alien or whatever. Right. And I started thinking like, man, we are just training kids really early to be used to gamification and this whole idea of rewards in a digital in a in a digital world you know I, I was sort of joking with my wife that I, I, after watching him do this i went 
my God, I really need to go buy NFTs. Like it just, it was, oh, it man. gave it, 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 which I did not, but, uh, <laughs> I was, I was it, about it, to go on a lecture there for a minute, but we'll save that. for Yeah, no, 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 no. She, uh, she threw her, she threw her body in front of that one, but it, it just, you know, this type of, this type of digital engagement and gamification and all of that, you know, these kids are getting used to this a lot earlier now, whether it be, you know, through apps at school, obviously Roblox is incredibly popular with, you know, that age group as well. And that's, you know, a huge part, part of it. Fortnite a couple of years ago, you know, these types of apps are driving engagement through this gamification process. And, you know, you're going to see more and more companies in the future, you know, I'd say use the word take advantage, but, you know, leverage the fact that this is something that people have just grown up with, you know, and when my son is 25, you know, it's just going to be the norm, you know, and I think if folks are not thinking about it now, they're going to need to in the not too distant future, because the consumers that are coming up, you know, that are going to be buying your services here uh, again, you know, soon are, um, are used to that type of engagement from companies. Absolutely. And, and Gabe, that's, that brings me to my, my kind of final strategy. I want people to think about and, and think, how can I, how can I leverage this? But uh, Twitter has been in the news a lot this week. Um, we, we don't have to get into the, the specific details of that. Elon Musk buying Twitter, that process kicking off. But one of my favorite Twitter accounts, and it's funny because I, I typically don't recommend like following businesses just because like, I don't, I don't care <laughs> like what businesses say, you know, b- big brands I'm talking about, you know, like your sure. top companies, like whatever Apple tweets doesn't affect me. I don't care. Um, if it's a local <laughs> company, it's totally different. You know, you want to be involved in that loop. But one of my favorite accounts is Wendy's. Do you follow Wendy's? Hmm. I do not. I do you not don't. follow Wendy's on Twitter. Wendy's has I a might very, have to start. I'm going to send you some links and I should put these in the podcast notes as well. I wish I had some examples with me, but what Wendy's does is they create this divide between themselves and their competition. And how they do this is they get on Twitter and they basically subtweet other accounts. So like, if, you know, if McDonald's <laughs> tweets something, they come in and subtweet it, basically what that is. Um, but they attack the competition and it's honestly hilarious. You know, they're, they're, they're attacked like the quality of other people's food, you know, why someone's going there to begin with. Um, but it's just stuff like that. But it's, it's a very bold strategy and it's one of my favorites. I've always wanted to do this, but it's tough because there's this line between like, am I going to start a fight or is like my customer base going to look at this and be like, Hey, that's funny. I'm going to engage with this tweet. That is pretty funny. Well, I, 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 I gotta have to go check this out now. This sounds fascinating. Gabe, do you have a Twitter account? I feel like we should establish that. <laughs> I do have a Twitter account. Yes. Okay, I am. Okay. I am very much a Twitter consumer, not a publisher. So I, I have never sent a tweet or posted a tweet, but I do really enjoy Twitter. It is a, uh, it, I think it's actually a really good place to learn stuff. Um, believe it or not, if you follow the right people, um, I, I found it to be incredibly educational. And uh, I realized most people would not say that about a social media site, but I found it to be very informative. So I, I'm a big fan of Twitter. I just don't, I'm it's, not a, I'm, I'm not a tweeter at all. It's very funny you say that because um, you know, it sounds like your Twitter is quite professional and everything. I just opened up mine because I feel like we should just talk about the difference between what you're looking at and what, <laughs> you know, what I'm tweeting. My, my pinch tweet, this was from uh, a couple of years ago, but it says, you know, if college has taught me anything, it's that success is one, 1% inspiration, 98% perspiration and 2% attention to detail. 
And I feel like that's not like, that's not a professional like anything tweet. Like as I scroll down, like it's it's just like all these like different memes and stuff I've tweeted in here. There's nothing professional. So someday, Gabe, I really just want to like sit down. Maybe maybe we'll do this uh, in in Vegas at the, in, the, in the fall. But I just want to sit down and like scroll through your Twitter and see what are oh, you please. engaging with versus like what am I engaging with? You know, like <laughs> I mentioned like following Wendy's. It's like who who cares what like. Wendy, mm-hmm. you know, says like nobody, nobody wants to know. But just knowing how they use their brand on on Twitter, it's 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 yeah. awesome. To that point, too, is um, creating that divide. Another fantastic example is this really goes back to the two thousands, and I had to I spent some time on YouTube looking at these compilations. But the Apple, you know, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC ads. I think that's another fantastic example of how you can like build this divide between your competition. You know, obviously the premise with those ads was they had the the young Apple user, you know, um, and they had the PC guy in his old like brown suit and everything, you know, your classic like '90s businessman kind of kind of vibe, you know. Guy, exactly. uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how else you'd, you'd describe that, but I think those somebody were... somebody who Chandler Bing would work with, I guess, is how you would describe it. I don't know who that is. Should I know who that is? <laughs> oh come on! You never watch Friends? Give me a break. <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, um, you're killing me. All right. Well, now that it's off of uh, Netflix, I can't even tell you to go okay. do that. <laughs> well, I have seen Seinfeld. They added that to Netflix and I binged it. So um, that's a nice there you show go. I've seen. See? So, yeah. Somebody who George Costanza would have worked with there. Now, now I pitch your now I, pitch your. Uh, this is like a total like side note, but I think George Costanza is the best written character on that show. I think they did a fantastic oh, job. He's amazing. Yeah. Well, I he's Larry say, David, right? I mean, I will say that's, this, that's who he is. I feel like I wouldn't be doing my part if I didn't say something negative now. So um, Jerry Seinfeld, terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> he is really bad, but that show is funny. It's, it's uh, fantastic. And that, that whole... You know, it's, kind of this, it's kind of like us talking about how Amazon has a terrible website on our last episode, and now we're, now we're talking crap about uh, Jerry Seinfeld being well, a terrible it's, actor. It's funny now. because like, we spend so much time like, plugging these different apps, these tools and everything. I, feel, I, I would feel bad if I didn't say something negative, like, oh, that's, that's trash. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these are conversations <laughs> we, we often have is like, oh, we saw this great example, and then we saw like, this terrible example this company's doing, so on, so on. Um, back to my point though, those Apple PC, yes, <laughs> those Apple PC ads, honestly, um, I would say some of the best examples of creating that divide. Obviously we talked about Wendy's, but, um, again, Apple bringing on this PC character. And one of my favorite ads was a Christmas ad I saw and I'll have to include a link to this as well, but the Apple and the PC are like decorating this Christmas tree and Gabe, let me know if you've seen this. And they're like putting the lights on and everything. And finally at the end. Like the Apple guys, like, all right, like we put aside our differences. Let's let's plug this tree in, and they they plug the tree in, and this is, this is an Apple commercial, and the the tree lights up, and it says like PC rules, and the PC guys like, oh, I, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it's it's such a fantastic example of you know this this ad was built and produced by Apple promoting an Apple product, but the visual in the ad is PC rules, and I think that's just mm-hmm. a, a, a fantastic campaign. That was a really good campaign. I honestly kind of forgot about it until you brought it up to me. And and it's, but you're right. Those were really, really good ads. It makes me wonder, you know, could broadband service providers, especially those who are offering fiber technology, could they do something similar if they're competing against cable companies, uh, you know, copper companies, DSL companies, especially, right? Do that kind of juxtaposition of, you know, the cool latest technology versus, 
you know, the legacy technology, you know, the, uh, the nineties guy in the suit, that could be a fun and campaign. Gabe, one example I feel like I should bring up and, and we don't have to dive into the actual company name, but there was an example I sent you a while back and it was a small local company comparing themselves to, uh, I want to say it was AT&T of Verizon. And in that ad, it ran in the newspaper that they built this comparison table, you know, and one of the things was like tax revenue, um, you know, fiber, you know, donations to community, so on, so on. But one of my favorite lines was like direct line to CEO and the local company had their number in there. And for like at and Verizon, it said like, good luck, you know? So they've got this nice comparison <laughs> table, but they're, they just flat out said like, oh, if you want to, you know, talk to us, here's our number, here's who's who. If you want to talk to AT&T, good luck. <laughs> I loved that ad. I thought that was great. I remember that one. We were talking about that a few months ago. The other one that I thought was the other kind of comparison in that that I thought was great was number of employees. I think it was, you know, number of employees in the area, you know, a few hundred versus one, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever, right? You know, that that was a great one for if you're a local, you know, local service provider, if you're competing against these large national companies, yes, you know, they, they have larger marketing budgets, you know, they have more resources, but you've got local, you've, you know, you're in these communities. And I think that's a great thing to point out and, you know, use that as, you know, ammo to, you know, battle against those, you know, those larger national service providers. I love that. I thought that one was brilliant, especially literally including the CEO's phone number in the ad. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was, that was really good. And, and the thing I really like about that ad is it's, it's really a bold take, you know, you have these small companies yes. taking on these national, like these companies have hundreds of millions. Of, I mean, they, they have billions of dollars they could spend mm -hmm. and really, you know, come into these local markets, but a simple ad like that, you see that and you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, this company is involved in my community. This is the difference here. Um, but mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to take that bold approach. And, and really plan it out because you don't want to like seem like it's a negative attack with, with no benefit, you know? But if you can spin that and say, hey, you know, like you have the option to sign up with our competitor, here's why you shouldn't. Yeah. No, I, it's a great point. And maybe, maybe we need to have a whole, a whole episode about this, but um, there's a, a really great book I read recently called um, They Ask You Answer. It's recommended, recommended to me by a colleague. And one of the things that it's all about content marketing. I definitely recommend it. It's a it's a, a great read. But one of the things that they talk about in the book is being very transparent, not only about your pricing, but also about your competition. And you know, the, you've got competition. Like I mean, there's you know very very few companies that don't have any competition. Your customers, your prospects know that there is competition. Why are you not going to just speak to it directly? It's it's almost disingenuous to pretend like they don't exist when you'd probably be much better off in at least addressing them and helping your customers and prospects know why you're different and why you're going to be a better option for them. I think that's a great example, Gabe. And I, I just added that book to my Audible account last week. So I'm hoping to read and, and we'll catch up and, and maybe we'll have a podcast episode on, on, on that book as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great one. I, I'd highly recommend it for any marketer. I thought it was a, an excellent read and gave gave some really good specific tactical things that you can do uh some some real great takeaways to you know drive your content marketing uh, efforts going forward so definitely recommend that one marcus sheridan the guy who wrote it is a good follow on linkedin too all right well, just we can, as an we can pass that along <laughs> gabe any other shows on netflix that we need to be watching out for in the meantime 
Well, I told you last week, I'm still, do- I, I, I've, I've made it through all of the seasons of the uh, Formula One Drive to Survive show. And I'm sad because now I don't have any more to watch until, until next season. But uh, that was the one that I definitely was binging super hard. My, um, <clears throat> all of my, uh, or most of my streaming uh, consumption comes when my kids are napping or I'm trying to get them down to a nap. So my daughter is still takes afternoon naps. And so, but she will not go to sleep unless my wife or I are sitting. Oh God, I know it sounds so great, doesn't it? Um, But uh, yeah, so she will only sleep if my wife or I are sitting on the floor in her room and then she will fall asleep. So I usually just bust my phone out and, you know, catch up on a little something while I'm waiting the, you know, 30 minutes for her to conk out. So that is my time to like cram in as much content as I possibly can (laughs) uh, when I'm, uh, when I'm trying to stream, stream something. Absolutely. And Gabe, I mentioned on the last podcast, I was going to share what I was watching. Um, again, Hot Rod is no longer on Netflix. So keep an eye Sometimes. out. It, it comes and goes. So I'm just going to say like, keep an eye <laughs> out. Um, but no, as I mentioned, I was just watching Seinfeld, you know, obviously old show from the nineties, but every now and then I get in these kicks where it's like, I, I should rewatch something. And after like the discussion on Breaking Bad now, I'm, I'm thinking I might, I might need to watch that one again. It's been, it's been a while. High quality show and, for and sure. This and, is uh, something check I out get. Better Call Saul too, man. This is this is some feedback I get from from my friends. Is if you do you do you like go back and watch shows again, Gabe? At some point, do you is that something you've done? Very rarely. Okay. My wife and I watched Ted Lasso multiple times because that show just absolutely killed me, and we both thought it was hysterical. But that's we. I usually do not rewatch shows. I've I've watched Parks and Rec. I dozens of times that is my favorite show i i think it's the best show you know online but one of the things my friends always give me shade for is if i go back and rewatch a show like some of them would be like start from episode one season one and go to the end whereas i will like hunt and pick episodes mm, and apparently yeah. like that's like the wrong way to do it <laughs> I, I mean i didn't know that there was a wrong way to do it but you know you're just you're personalizing your experience man it's all good hey man i'm not gonna i'm not gonna judge you for that well, you know, top five. Shows. I'll judge you for lots of things, but not for that. Oh man, I've got you know, I, there's nothing better than judging people. <laughs> but top <laughs> top five shows, Parks and Rec is obviously number one. And I don't know if I would call this a TV show, but uh, Chernobyl on HBO five for, uh, was it five oh, episodes or three good. episodes, whatever that was. Um, easily, I'm going to count that as number two, uh, followed by Breaking Bad. But um, you know, go subscribe to these different platforms and see if you like their their content. And don't be afraid to cancel, I guess, is the message of this whole podcast. Is, yeah, no kidding. Is will you be retained? But uh, <clears throat> I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, we touched on everything from why Hot Rod is a cinema classic to the different strategies you can use when focusing on customer retention. Uh, Gabe, next week, what are we going to be talking about? It sounds like uh, mistakes in advertising. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we, we'll, we're going to have to come up with some with a fun topic for next week. We'll keep people guessing. The one thing we know for sure is that we are going to be doing video again. So again, if you want to see Zach and I's faces, you can uh, check this, check the podcast out on Spotify and you can uh, see us talking through this whole thing as well. Yeah, Gabe, you know, you look great on video. I, uh, I'm wearing sweatpants right now. So um, I very much dressed up for the occasion. No, yeah, I've got shorts on. It's really, really beautiful here today. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely rocking some shorts, but thankfully nobody (laughs) can see that. Oh man. Well, as always, everyone feel free to connect with both Gabe and myself on LinkedIn. Visit our website in that link down below. Uh, We'll talk soon. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, we'll see you soon.